I am your host, Canary T. Robot, and this is a more musical episode. Not, I mean, there's no music behind us, but whatever. Um, I'm here with Jonathan Eggstaff. Say hello. Howdy doody. How's everybody doing today? Did I pronounce that right? It's Eggstaff, right? Yes, it's Jonathan Eggstaff. Just, it's spelled exactly how it sounds. Good. (laughs) I figured. I looked at him like, I hope I don't say this wrong, because for some reason I thought it was Eggstaff for a while, and then I looked at him like, no, it's just Eggstaff. Yeah, um, so he is a musician. Tell us about yourself. Well, I'm a synthwave musician from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, I make... Oh, uh, oh, shit, I choked. I'm sorry, guys. It's okay. You're totally fine. Uh, okay. What, what do you do? What do you, so you're a musician from Las Vegas. Yeah, and uh, I make wave musician soundtracks and uh, types of EDM music. Nice. Um, now, how did you start making music, or uh, what? Uh, what was your origin in terms of becoming a musician? Well, I grew up in a household where my father played guitar. He- as a blues musician, um, and uh, he'd take me to church, and he played the guitar there. Oh wow! And when I was twelve, he gave me uh, an acoustic guitar for Christmas. And when was- uh, this was two thousand two, two thousand. Oh okay. And um, he taught me uh, war pigs on the guitar, smoke on the water, pretty much. Pretty simple stuff that everybody learns when they first start playing, and uh, I put it down for about six months, and then when I got into eighth grade, I went into guitar class at my local middle school. Oh, cool. Wait, uh, and uh, you went to guitar classes where now? Uh, in my local middle school. Oh, okay. They Middle schools offered that? that the, or your middle school offered that? That's awesome. Uh, for the one year that I was in eighth grade, they did it. And I learned about relative keys and scales and, you know, just mostly like classical guitar in that year. And uh, after that, I just started picking around and uh, playing. And my dad uh, bought me a bass the next year and I started playing with his uh, blues band at at the Sand Dollar every now and then, which was a kind of legendary blues club here in town. And... Uh, that was pretty much my introduction to music. Oh, nice. Okay, so how did you start a band? Like, um, how did you get into that? Like, with your let's start with your first band. Um, it, uh, it's called Barricade, correct? Uh, well, that's my second band. That was my first professional band. My first band was a band called Porkfish in high school, and it was mostly just me and my friend Chris uh, messing around. And we recorded, like, a few songs, and, you know, they're somewhere in the cloud. Uh, I hope not, but <laughs> we 
hit like Gigi Allen covers and punk rock tunes and stuff like that. And uh, it just kind of faded away, you know, as I got older. But when I got out of high school, I got a job at a haunted house and saved up all my money and bought a Gibson Les Paul. Oh, that's a nice guitar. That's like the, that's like the typical perfect guitar in yeah. terms of like for musicians. I know, um, which is funny because I, I am definitely more of a Fender person. Uh, me too. Actually, I like Fenders and uh, Fat Strats, and Telecasters, and all those. But uh, I wanted to get because uh, everybody told me they retained value. You know, they're hard mahogany; they last forever, and uh, I just was dead set on a Gibson. And also, Gibsons tend to have that more rounder sound, where uh, Fenders tend to be more twangy. From yeah. what? Yeah, uh, it's because of humbucker and uh, single line pickups. Uh, most Gibsons have humbuckers uh, in them, and it's just two magnets that pick up your sound instead of just one. Oh, I didn't know the the actual science behind it, but that's really cool. But um, I started out playing guitar and wrote a bunch of stuff and dressed up like zombies. And uh, we had fun with it for about six months. And I uh, all pulled our money together. And uh, I ended up borrowing a bass from a drummer and uh, doing vocals and playing bass uh, because we didn't have a bass. And we started gigging. I throw uh, shows out in the day. <laughs> And uh, we're kind of here, and you know, borrow PA. Oh, can you can you lean closer towards the mic? Excuse me. But uh, we'd rent a generator and uh, get a PA system from somebody. You know, like I'd ask somebody, "Hey, you got a PA system? Well, I want to throw this show together." And we do shows out in the middle of the desert because uh, there's not too many out, all ages venues out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we played a couple shows like that, a couple backyard shows, and we got lined up for a show at a place called the Sinister Lounge by a, uh, a record producer that I won't name right now. Uh, and he was very inter- interested in us. He had a big show plan with like eight bands, and uh, he ended up falling out like six hours before the show. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and uh, we we took that as like a sign, and we ended up breaking up. Like we got into a big argument with him, and then each other, and then we replaced the drummer, and the uh, the feeling just wasn't there, you know. Even though that our dr- the drummer that we replaced him with was much better and uh, more focused, and you know he'd show up on time and everything like that, but. Um, it, the feeling just wasn't there, and I was working, so I just put it down. Mm-hmm. And um, for a couple years, you know, I remained stagnant, and I didn't do anything. But uh, I came into a local bar called the Dive Bar out here, and I asked for a job, you know, just clean your floors for $100 a week. And uh, they agreed. I ended up painting the walls, the ceiling, hanging up everything in there. And uh, I started working with actual touring musicians and seeing how the industry works and uh it was it was a great experience and then uh oh hello i'm here i'm here okay Okay, good uh just make sure to be close to the mics because uh when you sometimes you've been kind of fading out i'm sorry 
No, you're fine. Don't worry. Um, uh, so, I mean, with the, with all this, um, uh, what are you doing now with music? Well, right now, I went out and bought a MIDI controller, and I started learning how to play the piano through it. And mm-hmm. I was originally going to make a one-man black metal band, like, and uh, do it anonymously, release it, and, you know, just have some fun with it, and, you know, do all the instruments myself through uh, sequencing. And uh, I watched the movie Drive. Oh, that's and- a good movie. I remember sitting down and thinking, I go, uh, listening to the soundtrack in that film, I was like, I could do that. So I ended up uh, just messing around, you know, uh, started downloading virtual instruments and uh, learning how to program them to imitate sounds. And uh, I ended up making my first track about three months ago. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's really nice to test myself in another way musically. Like, I'm used to playing metal and blues and classical music, and uh, I, it's just fun challenging myself with electronic music. Like, uh, the songs are built differently. You know, a lot of it's repetitive and looping, and it's built around a crescendo. Mm-hmm. And um, just build it up and then take it down like a roller coaster. And it it's just something new, you know, and uh, I really admire the old sounding synthesizers like uh, using the John Carpenter soundtracks and stuff like that um, because it sounds like you're making music with laser beams, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to like uh, trying to set up like um, a gig or anything like that, uh, what are the steps you take to get to that? Well, the first thing you got to do is talk to um, a venue, like find a venue that you want to play at and look for uh, musicians that are similar to you mm-hmm. and try to network with them and, and come in and just be persistent, you know, um, and uh, you're not going to make pretty much any money for a bar gig. Uh, they'll give you drink tickets. Or uh, if you're lucky, they'll give you like 50 bucks if you're starting out. And uh, pretty much everybody involved isn't making much. But uh, the idea is to get your name out there and uh, you give them a sample of your music, you know, tell them that you're very interested in playing. And once again, persistence is key. That's good to know. And then um, uh, what about like uh, how often – do you practice or like how, how do you set up like um how do you prepare for a gig let's well, say gig uh, like analog or show or whatever you'd like to call it preparing for a gig with analog instruments like guitars basses stuff like that i would say practice you know at least three times a week you know and make sure that you have a very good relationship with the rest of your band um I don't really like working with other people anymore. Uh, so that's another reason why, you know, I chose synthesis over analog music. And, uh, like, preparing live for digital music, you know, you need, you need to have your stuff together and try to bring as little amount of equipment as you can because uh, there's always a chance of equipment that you're live. And 
you know, you, you set up your tracks to where you can sequence live. Okay, that's good to know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've yet to play a uh, digital gig, but I've played plenty of analog gigs. And uh, just make sure that you have uh, your settings ready, you know, at, during your sound check. Um, be prepared. I, I would say drink lots of water and most of all, have fun. Hmm. And that's it. Because what I've uh, what I've got from musicians is they usually they do it for the fun of it, for the enjoyment of it, rather than. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've never once been paid for a gig. I, in fact, I've paid to uh, set up shows. Like I said, I'd rent a generator and a PA system, and you know, buy bottles of water so nobody would get dehydrated out there. Built my own stage, you know, show up six to eight hours beforehand, and and I've actually built the stage based off, uh, out of all the trash that, that was present at uh, just outside the speedway here in town. I found a bunch of wood out there and some tires that somebody shot with paintballs, and I just lined them up around the wood and uh, used it as a drum riser. Oh wow! Now, um, uh, have you ever done a tour or anything like that, or? once uh but only as a roadie and uh oh. i used to roadie for a band called avenger of blood out here and uh we went all What's over dancing avenger of blood oh okay and they're a thrash band from out here uh they ended up uh touring all over mesa arizona and san diego and i i went along with them and uh most of it's you know just the transport of uh I would say equipment and setting it up and, you know, kind of hyping up the show around there and, you know, and the crowd and stuff like that. And, it, you know, stringing their guitars, just always use a fresh set of strings on your guitar before you, you like change them the night before and don't tune your tune right at your sound check. So you get uh, pretty much the best sound you can out of your brand new strings. Um, and, friendly you know go go mingle with the crowd uh that's another very important part you know and it's also important not to talk mess about uh the other bands that are playing even if you don't like them like it's good to be nice because uh, people don't like that and you know they don't deserve it either they go out there and they're doing the same thing that you're doing in fact they've been doing it for longer in that you're in most of the time um you know, it helps to sell merch so you can survive on the road. Oh, how do you now with merch? Uh, what did uh, what did the band uh, go through, or like, um, or did they went through a certain company, or how did that work out? Well, I've always used Vistaprint. Uh, here, try Vistaprint. You know, it's a sponsorship, but. <laughs> Uh, oh no! Just so many people have. Um, I, I always ask about like what tools they use and such because, I mean, it's good to know like um, what there is out there to use for. Especially, it, it's kind of like we could be technically um, sponsoring Gibson or Fender, so. Or a to- MPK Mini. Yeah, that's what I use to make all my music as an Akai MPK Mini Mark II, and it's just a short band uh, keyboard. You know, MIDI controller with eight pads, eight knobs, and uh, I think 32 keys. <laughs> but uh, I try to keep it cheap, you know, when, I, when I'm using music. But uh, back to the merchandise thing. Um, 
uh, with the show, like you, Vistaprint, you said. I use Vistaprint for merchandise, and uh, I also find local screen printers. You know, there's plenty of people that will screen print T-shirts for you for pretty cheap. You know, all you have to do is pretty much pay for the supplies, which you're going to need um, a, a guide screen print, and that's what costs most of the money. Most of the money, and then you you know you can go get some Hanes T-shirts and uh, get them printed on there. Uh, it's the same way that the bootlegger do it. And, uh, you know, you can hire local artists to do it. You can do it yourself. Um, most people will do it for you if you ask them. You know, when you're, once again, you're persistent. Um, but uh, I've used Vistaprint for hats and cards and uh, stickers and things like that. Uh, because it's pretty cheap. And if you go on to uh, Retail Me Not and go find on for it you can go find like a 30 50 percent off coupon and uh the only problem with vistaprint is it takes at least three weeks unless oh, wow. unless you want to shell out you know for extra shipping costs it's always my advance but they've um, they've been very very uh good to me over the years that's good um, now, when should a band start thinking about merchandising like what is there like a certain point? I always started for myself. I'd like print a shirt for myself to wear to promote my band, and you know I'm I'm also really into myself, so <laughs> I uh, I like to uh, use it as promotion and everything like that. And as soon as people start saying, "Hey, I really like that shirt. I want one of those," I start getting them printed. You know, I'll, I'll get like thirty to fifty of them printed, and then just sell them. And most of the time, they'll sell like hotcakes. Oh, really? And, you know, if if you're feeling like it, you can give them away, too, to your good fans. But, yeah, um, I can I can see that being a thing because um, uh, I actually I actually for um, Midnight Marinara, I got David a, uh, a Midnight Marinara shirt that I just got printed. But um, uh, no one's yet to come up and say, oh, that's an awesome shirt. Yeah. Well, uh. I'm sure if I saw it. So, yeah. Um, but then again, he's only worn it once, so. <laughs> um, now, uh, in terms of, like, um, now, I mean, you've had experience working with um, uh, record producers and stuff like that. Um, uh, how? What would you say you learned most about that? Uh, be genuine with them, you know. Okay. Uh, Always read your contracts and uh, don't expect much. A lot of people are going to say, oh, tell you anything you want to hear, that they love it. And uh, some people pretend to have more power than they do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I would say ask for an advance. But I, I'm not a big fan of record companies or anything like that. With uh, social media platforms like Facebook and YouTube, you can put your stuff out there yourself. You know, I've always thought of a record company as someone that will help me get distributed. But with YouTube, you can get your stuff all the way out to Malaysia if you want to. That is true. And also, you control your own music and have more power that yeah. way. So there is there's a lot of pros and cons when it comes to going through a record label versus doing it yourself. 
You could also start your own record label. Uh, lots that's, of people. Oh, that's absolutely true. Especially, I mean, we recently just, uh, it was only last year that a uh, indie record label song actually reached top one. So the possibilities are out there now. Yes, there is. Uh, and in the future, I don't really see uh, record companies being around as much, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, yeah, there's talent scouts and stuff like that, but it, it seems like with iTunes and YouTube, it's just kind of phasing out. So, I mean, just put your stuff out there. Somebody will hear it and somebody will like it. That's true. A lot of bands have been recognized this way, especially in the age of YouTube and uh, everything going out there. It takes uh, all. The, I love it because it takes all the serious work out of it, you know. Uh, so, in turn, what's a typical way that you start making music? Like, uh, what is your schedule, or um, not like daily schedule, but like, what's your process for now making digital music? I usually sit down and open up uh, FL Studio, and uh, I go through all the virtual instruments I use, which. You know, uh, they usually consist of three times oscillator. I use Harmless, uh, OBXD, which is an Oberheim OBX clone. Uh, my favorite synthesizer is one, and it's a uh, Chinese uh, reverse engineered synth, uh, soft synth. And it's free. Uh, I went out and bought the Korg Arturia uh, collection, which consists of like the Poly 6, the MS 20. Um, and those are the two that I use for my bases, uh, the Mini Moog, uh, the Prophet uh, 5. Uh, but on the Internet, you can find uh, copies, uh, freeware copies, if you don't want to pay for it. And if you want to sit down and learn synthesis, you can program any sound you want with a uh, three-time oscillator. So there's you know, nothing really stopping you. But I go through all the settings. Um, I usually determine what key I want to put the song in by messing around. And um, uh, the first song I ever wrote was in C because it's the easiest key. And mm -hmm. uh, the next song I did was A minor because it's a relative key and I wanted it to go into it well. And, uh, and that's another important thing is uh, you should learn the Fibonacci sequence uh, and relative keys because everything in nature follows it and music does too. Uh, it all goes down to the mathematics. And... Uh, you know, you determine if you want to write the song in a major or a minor key, uh, if you want it to sound happy or sad. And uh, the first thing I do is I lay down a lead. And uh, it's usually a sequence of four notes repeated. And I pick around uh, underneath it with uh, another synthesizer uh, to find a healthy balance where uh, it sounds well. And sometimes I start with the bass, too. You know, like if I have something stuck in my head all day while I'm at work, I'll come home and pick it out on the piano and uh, start sequencing it through the piano roll. And uh, from then on, I just add layer after layer after layer, and uh, I eat everything how I want and add effects like reverb and a phaser and a flanger distortion and stuff like that um and in the end i end up having a song and about halfway through the process i do a thing called storytelling a lot of 
call it storytelling, is I'll change up the loop and uh, have it do something else through a relative key. And sometimes I'll bring in an octave up, sometimes I'll bring in an octave down, sometimes I'll find somewhere in the middle. But uh, I, don't, I try not to keep it to where it's the same bar looped over and over. And sometimes I, I, uh, I'll listen to music or a soundtrack by like John Carpenter or something like that and I try to imitate the sounds and incorporate, incorporate that in there. Uh, I'll go through my list of vengeance samples and find uh, a sound that I want of like a sweep up or a sweep down or something like that. But uh, I spend a lot of time programming sense trying to find that specific sound I'm looking for or imitating a guitar or a brass section, or a lead, or something like that. Now, obviously, I mean, it seems like you have a great knowledge in terms of actual making music itself. I mean, obviously, you're a musician, but, like, it's interesting, because you're, like, you're talking about the, like, different sequences, the mathematics of it. How did you come to learn about that? Was that just on your own time, or? YouTube. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I watch a lot of YouTube tutorials, to be honest with you. And um, I I only have a high school diploma. Like, I, I never went to college. I always wanted to study uh, music theory, but I, uh, I don't have the money for college. I work at a gas station, you know. I spend a lot of money on music instruments, and then there's rent and food, and I smoke cigarettes. And, you know, there's all these bills on top of it. And I'm like, how can I afford college without, you know, getting up to my neck in debt like all my friends? And I went, YouTube. <laughs> so I just study uh, synthesis. Uh, I study... Uh, music theory, relative keys, uh, scale, stuff like that. Um, just anything that interests me on YouTube uh, for audio engineering. And uh, there's some good stuff on there, you know. And if you don't like what one person's saying, you can always move on to the next video because there's a thousand people saying the same exact things uh, with little variations. And you can pick and choose what you like. And uh, eventually uh, your, your production skills will improve. Hmm. That's actually good to know. Now, I, I also have another question. Um, you know how to write music, but also and play it. Which do you consider easier? And um, oh. beg your pardon? Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to say which you consider easier, and if you can elaborate along the, uh, upon that, that would be awesome. <laughs> well, I like I like to just pick around and play the the guitar. Um, and, you know, find a sound that I like or, you know, like start writing riffs. But uh, it's easier to write music for me because uh, it's in front of me on a piano roll and uh, I can put it, you know, however I like. And then I can listen to it immediately. And I'm like, do I like this? Yes or no, no, I don't like this. OK, let's try it. Let's try this note. Let's try this note until finally I get that right sound. Um, playing music is a lot of fun and I do it. I do that for my soul. Like when I'm just sitting around, I'll pick around on a piano or a guitar or, you know, something like that. But uh, I like writing music more because you know, there's an efficiency thing and uh, productivity is pretty awesome. Like, and I love being able to listen to something six hours after I, I start it and be like, yeah, I accomplished that. You know, like, uh, that's all me. So 
I, I don't really know what to tell you on that. Like, what's more fun, playing music or writing music? Uh, they both uh, are a tool towards uh, the overall product of what I do. Yeah, because I've um, I've spoken to mus- I've spoken to musicians before, and um, I mean, most of them write their own songs and then play it. But then when I hear people. Uh, saying they want to become musicians is like, well, I know how to sing or I know how to play piano, but I don't know how to write music. And I'm like, does that come naturally or do you practice that? How does that work? Well, mostly you need to know your theory, like where your scales are and where your relative keys are. And it's all mathematical. It's one, one, three, five, eight, eleven, and so on. And it's the same thing with art too, like art composition, uh, Everything in nature follows a spiral, and uh, music is guilty of that, too. Like, our ears follow that spiral. If you look at the Mona Lisa, her face follows that spiral. In fact, if you look at someone's face or a tree, uh, it follows that spiral. And all that is is uh, a sequence of numbers, you know, and uh, put to a visual term. And uh, some people call it the golden ratio, but... um, it's it's important to know your uh, theory if you want to start writing music. Like like I said earlier, uh, C, uh, its relative key is A minor, so you're going to be wanting to work around there. G always sounds well uh, with C. D always sounds well with uh, C. And uh, there's a uh, a circle of fifths chart that you can find anywhere online, any guitar book, any piano book, any music book, period, uh, will have the circle of fifths in it somewhere. And uh, it's good to memorize that uh, when writing songs, because songs like uh, Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door, it's just GCD, and they're all fifths from each other, uh, note-wise. And uh, I always use that as an example of writing a song, is try to write something like a song that you hear, like ghost write it. And uh, sometimes it'll sound okay. Sometimes it'll sound like shit, but, uh, but you know, you're learning and uh, never get discouraged. You know, like you're not going to, not every song you're going to write is going to sound good. You know, every song you write is going to sound good to you, but it might not sound good to everyone else. And uh, it's always good to put your stuff out there and let other people listen and uh, give you critique on it. An honest critique, not, I hate all digital music, so it's fucking shit. That's bad critique. Don't listen to stuff like that. It's uh, Your songs are a little repetitive, and uh, there's not really much uh, songwriting in it. And, you know, all your sounds sound similar. And, you know, that's better critique than I, I don't like it because it's digital. <laughs> And uh, for people like that, you know, if you want to listen to the same Guns N' Roses albums for the rest of your life, by all means, have fun. But uh, That's not going to help you if you want to become a musician. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, everything under the sun has been done. So don't be worried about, uh, you know, oh, has it been done before? Everything's been done. And uh, there's nothing new under the sun. There was nothing new under the sun in the 60s. But it's important to know your theory if you're going to try to write music. I will say that. Okay. That's actually very helpful, I must say. Now, um, 
in terms of recording music, uh, do you go, have you gone through a? I mean, digital obviously it's all through the computer, but with a band, did you go through a studio or how did that work out? I used to have a, a four track recorder, and we'd set up in our garage and mic our amps, and uh, just record each track individually. You know, we'd start with a track uh, with a metronome and. Uh, I'll listen to it and uh, just do one track at a time so you can get all those punches well. But most of the time we – excuse me. I got a little bit of indigestion. But okay. uh, we would we would record the bass and drums first. And um, from there, uh, add in the lead guitars and the rhythm guitars and uh, last lastly, vocals. Oh, uh, wow. But, um, you know, it, you can get like a four to 32 track recorder and do it. You can go into a studio, too. It's always good to have an engineer on hand uh, that knows what they're doing and knows how to do leveling. Uh, it's always good to keep your music uh, like before you send it to the mastering process, which I'll touch on in a minute. Um, it's good to keep your music, uh, I would say, six or seven decibels below zero. So uh, you don't end up clipping and losing any of your sound waves. And, uh, and then uh, if you're good at mastering, like if you, if you really want to sit down and learn the arduous process of mastering, which I've never had the desire to do. Um, you well, can, well, what, first off, before you continue, what is mastering? It's trying to make your, all the sounds on your song as loud as you can without uh, losing anything. Oh, okay. And uh, it, it, it's a royal, royal pain. And uh, most people think that mastering does most of the work. Uh, you have to do most of the work in mixing. You know, you have to find where your voice uh, lives in an EQ, in, in an equalizer. You have to know where the bass lives in the equalizer. And you got to find pockets of sound uh, and try to fit all of that together to where they, it's not just them all on top of each other. And, uh, you know, whatever sounds good to you, too, uh, works. A lot of people, uh, they spend years and years on it. Uh, I try not to worry about it too much. You know, like, if I really want my stuff mastered, I will send it to a mastering studio and pay somebody to do it. Hmm. And then where, where do you find these mastering studios? Like, uh, do you just look them up online or do you... Yeah, I would look it up online and, you know, look at reviews. You, you don't want some guy that has a studio. He's running a studio outside of his van, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, try to find somewhere professional, I would say, because uh, most of those guys that have home studios, while they are well-meaning, and I'm sure that there are great ones out there, um, a lot of them are out there just to rip you off. And, you know, they'll take their time with it, and it's not a real priority to them. But uh, I would go, try to find a professional studio, and uh, there's plenty of them in any li uh, large city. You can find one. Like out here, a good one's Naked City Audio. In Las Vegas? And uh, it's just outside the Alamo, and if anybody's uh, in Las Vegas, they'll, they'll know where the Alamo is. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, but... Uh, uh, oh, man, I, I lost what I was talking about. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, you were talking about, like, studios and trying to find them and then mastering? 
it's good to hire a sound engineer, you know, somebody that knows what they're doing, someone with experience, and um, uh, they'll take a lot of the really hard and uh, arduous work out of it. So I I would suggest, unless you want to sit down and invest like 500 to 1,000 hours (laughs) uh, to uh, learning how to mix and master, uh, just hire somebody that knows. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Um, actually, you um, you just uh, introduced me to another uh, uh, source that I didn't think of, a music engineer. Like, um, uh, I it's interesting when I interview these artists and then they tell me like, oh, I have to work with this person or this person. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize like that job existed. So, yeah, there. Uh, well, a lot of pe- a lot of people call them producers audio engineers oh i've i call myself a producer you know because i've been kind of working on it and that's what i do is i produce music uh and i'm i try to keep it as diy as i can right now because uh it's like i said earlier i really hate working with other people (laughs) um now when it comes to working with other people though um how do you uh, how do you solve issues or like what do you recommend when it comes to working with a band? Well, uh, one thing you need to do is listen and try to check your ego at the door and hope that everyone else there is uh, will do the same courtesy for you. I've always been a bass player or uh, I've played drums and stuff like that, but most of the time I'm more of a background, you know, and I I try to help with the sound. Uh, songwriting process and you know I try to be as helpful as I can and not make it a John Eggstaff show you know it's it's the barricade show is the idea and uh, it's our band not my band and uh, it's just good to be patient uh, and have uh, and work with people that you know what to expect out of um it's good to have a relationship with someone, you know, beforehand. But being in a band with someone can ruin a relationship <laughs> permanently, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if something goes sour, or you know, somebody ends up owing you money, or uh, what have you, uh, it 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 can end up disastrous for a friendship. So just you know, keep that in mind. But uh, it's good to know what to expect out of someone when you're working with them. Uh, beforehand and uh, if you're all like working towards the same idea you'll know but if so not, that's something that needs to be clear like okay we're, we're all in in the idea that this is our goal yeah and uh, with Barricade uh, myself Chris and Ali wanted a death metal band we wanted to be in a old school Floridian style obituary death uh, Morbid Angel, Autopsy, that type death metal band. And we went in there with that notion and we wrote songs based around that concept. And uh, because we we were all on the same page, we ended up writing music that worked. And between the three of us, we could – and I love a power trio, by the way. If I was to ever be in a metal band or anything like that again, it would be a power trio because it it just keeps it so simple and you don't have to split the money as much. <laughs> So the guitar, bassist, drums. Yeah. 
And uh, somebody should sing. I, I always like the drummer to sing for some reason. I've always thought that was super cool. And it's a nice little gimmick, you know, like uh, it, it kind of harkens back to like Kiss and uh, uh, Blue Oyster Cult and, you know, all those guys when they used to do it in the 70s. And it, it's just I've always found that cool. But um, like I said, it's you know, the same it- page. I was just going to say, it's also a rare thing to see, too, because I know I know drumming takes not only, like, a lot of arm strength and effort, but to do that plus sing. Yeah, and whenever I see it, I'm always impressed. And, you know, like, uh, uh, that it's really fun to watch people. Uh, and most of those kind of drummers that sing and play at the same time, they have so much fun. Like, look at Levon Helm from the band. Uh, he's amazing. And uh, he sang 90% of the vocals uh, for The Last Waltz, which I consider to be the greatest music performance of all time. I can imagine. So, so did I mean, so uh, did your drummer, any of you, any band you worked with, did a drummer sing or did that never happen? I've never been lucky enough. I mean, I had a friend named Dave that could do it, but uh, this was in a period of my life where uh, drugs and alcohol were uh, very, very important to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they're not now, but uh, during that time, we would go over to their house and we'd call it the House of Burn Offering and just party all the time. And he was the best drummer I've ever met in my life, but uh, he was an animal, you know, so like we couldn't really go anywhere with it. And uh, I've always regretted that, you know. No, I can I understand that. Um, now, uh, what sort of uh, is there uh, is there anything you would change now, looking back on trying to become a musician that you wish you would have done? Or I wish like, I would have sober earlier. I wish I would have settled down and got married earlier too. But uh, oh yeah, and uh, another thing I want to stress is it's important to find a good muse. You know, like. Always try to find some surround yourself with people that support you for who for who you are and what you do. Like even if they don't like it, like just to have somebody there to bounce ideas off of and just be there for you. Because, uh, it'll reflect in any type of art that you do. Having someone uh, that you love around. That is good to know. Um, I I really really wish that I got uh, sober earlier in my life. <laughs> Because yeah. it definitely held me back, uh, drinking all the time and partying all the time. And uh, now that uh, my head's clear, I have a lot more productive thoughts. Now, do you have anything to, that you're, uh, you're, any plans for the future with music now? Well. Or any goals? I have a, a goal of releasing a uh, backlog of all the songs that I've written so far on my birthday, uh, which will be August 10th, and I'm going to call the album Synchronicity. And oh, that's a nice name. It's not going to have any real theme, uh, and it's kind of going to be like a, a meta thing, like it, me poking fun at myself, you know, like of my early days. And in October... This is something that I have been actively working on right now. I plan on releasing a record called Trick Trick or Treat on Halloween, and it's going to be all dark synth. And it's going to be all darker sounding songs, and it's going to be a tribute to all my favorite um, horror stories, uh, slasher films. It's going to be very, very John Carpenter-esque. 
I actually am now looking really forward to that. <laughs> and uh, the single off that record has been released on YouTube, uh, on my YouTube channel, and there's a video and everything. It's called The Shape, and it's based around uh, Halloween. And I released that last week, and I'm working more and more uh, around it and trying to define that sound and just crunching everything together uh, and try to base, you know, like one off of the movie Maniac, the other off the Evil Dead, Friday the 13th, Street Trash, Mouth of Madness, Reanimator, and, you know, maybe a Charles Bronson film in there as a bonus track. What, okay, well, uh, we're starting to run out of time. So uh, now that you actually mentioned about finding it, where can we find you? You can find me on SoundCloud. Um, I'm sure that you'll put a link in the description or something like that, and on YouTube. And I try to update it regularly, but uh, it's I it, things have been a little hectic at work, and um, I I also I'm also sitting on a lot of material right now that I don't want to release just yet. Okay, that's good to know. And then, uh, actually, mind if you say it out loud just to be safe. Uh, my band's called uh, Night Prowler, and it's uh, a synthwave band. You can find it uh, by searching Night, uh, Night Prowler Synth on Google, YouTube, what have you, any of the search bars. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan. So, This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BendUNetwork.com.